We are I. Thirty minutes into our conversation and haven't recorded anything yet. We might as well start here with the topic of uh, the the change of animal, the Chinese New Year, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we are in the year of the water tiger, and in the Chinese zodiac, each um, month is represented by a particular animal. And the qualities of that animal are said to make up an aspect of the person's personality who's born into that sign. And so when we change into a different year, we're changing into a different uh, vibration. And so now we are in the vibration of the tiger. And then on top of having the specific vibration of that animal's qualities, there are also the qualities of the element that is associated with that year. And there are five elements and this year is water. So we're in the year of the water tiger. And so the Chinese believe that if you are a tiger, if you're born into a year of the tiger and then that year comes around, that that's a very tender and delicate year for you, which was the opposite of what I personally thought when I first started, uh, when I first learned about the Chinese Zodiac, I automatically thought, oh, well, if it's a so-and-so year, then that means that that must be like a very a year of power for me or whatever. And it's absolutely, it's actually, according to them, the opposite of that, that we're more vulnerable in our birth year for some reason or in our year, in our sign year. And particularly if we're watching. Yeah. Interesting. Right. So I don't know if it's, if it's uh, like a superstitious thing or, you know, what that is, but um, if, if it's there, like if you're a tiger and you're not a fire tiger or a wood tiger, you're a water tiger and it's the year of the water tiger uh you're supposed to wear like a piece of red like a red thread around your wrist or something like that because the red is it enhances protection and um strengthens your aura so yeah so that's about the extent of what i know about it that um that the the animal comes up every 12 years because there are 12 signs in the zodiac and that there are a plethora of books you can find to see which animal you are most romantically suited to match with. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. See, and though we're, this comes back to me, like, and I was actually kind of thinking along these lines before we started this conversation um, because of what we were talking about before we started recording. Um, but I find it interesting that, these things were figured out in what I would assume simply by talking to people, you know, or, or like, like gauging how people act and maybe cataloging, like how people act or react to situations when they were born in a, in a given month. Cause like you would think to be able to devise a whole system takes 12 years to be able to come back around and, you know, associating elements, you know, with these um, animals and stuff as well. Like, like that would be a lot of just, listening and paying attention mm-hmm. and understanding people for who they are like are like the human race the human species homo sapiens for who they are and how they act in this biological world which i find so much different than how we analyze human behavior now we create these like subsets of parameters and say how would you act to this what is your opinion on this check yes or no do you support this yes or no like if this read polls and all the different polling that we do but it's like, you may feel like that at that time, based on a conversation that you may just had or like how you're feeling that day or how you woke up. But that doesn't mean that that's what you represent and who you represent every day. But mm-hmm. these systems like this, to me, because when you come back around to it, 
it's like, well, yeah, like I do represent all these characteristics because I always fight it that I'm like, how can I read a piece of paper that tells me what a cancer is like? And, you know, like these personality characteristics. And it's like, you almost get to that point of that paragraph where like, you don't want to keep on reading because you really start to do some self-reflection as you're reading. Like, wow, like I really am this person. But it's astonishing mm-hmm. to me, like thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, like people could come up with this system that like is pretty accurate. Like, I think the older that we get, the more accurate we realize a lot of these things are. And I would assume it's just from listening to people and, and being very in tune with them. Like, what is your thought process behind that? Yeah, I think that these these little bits and snippets of information have been passed down pre-writing. I mean, I believe that there were oral traditions that um, passed this information down for thousands of years. And in addition to that, you know, there there was an, an incredible amount of observation and insight and people were not as disconnected from nature as they are now. So they were just more intuitive and aware of what was going on around them and about very common sense things like this would, to me, it seems like for an ancient person would be a very common sense run of the mill thing. Oh, you're a tiger. Well, that means X, Y, Z, you know, I can expect this from you or that from you, or you're a Leo. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I can see that in your physique. I can see that in your demeanor. Um, Yeah. And, and then there's the element of it where there are medicine people and sages and wise people that connect connect uh practice connecting on a different level to a stream of information that's available and accessible if if one is um tuned in enough or um uh practiced enough or just has a gift to access it and so i think it's probably a bit of that as well so it's observation but it's also information that comes through like with einstein you know he said that he didn't um he never came up with any of these things that we remember him for in in mathematics and science by sitting there with a pen and paper or studying something he came up with those things he said they arose out of nowhere when he was like going for a walk, when he was relaxed and not thinking of something. That's when the information would make itself um, appear to him. And so I think it's a similar thing um, throughout human history. And that's the way we've figured out a lot of the things that we have. And, and I am, oh, I can't very much with those things because it's always first thing in the morning when I'm too tired to think about anything else, or just like my mind is not actively thinking about anything else. Um, when I'm sitting in this sauna and like, I'm starting to go delirious because it's so hot. I just want to get out. And I get to this point where my mind all of a sudden gets like completely clear. And I feel like I understand what's going on in my mind a lot better. Um, which is the same as how I feel when I'm really tuned in and tapped into my meditation um there's Mm -hmm. like all these little windows of how you can like access like that information that isn't there because we have too much that clogs it up in the forefront and that's how i've always felt like just sifting through all the files to be able to get to the important stuff like that takes a lot of effort and energy these days which i would hope and i feel based on some of the principles that have been you know initiated and adopted from the past especially in um traditional Chinese medicine that there probably wasn't as much clutter or hopefully not enough clutter because we were able to gain this insight into people and then it makes me think you know and this is my question for you is do you think that we will ever be as connected to what the human experience is actually like compares to how it was you know maybe like five ten thousand years ago you know where a lot of these teachings came from in traditional Chinese medicine Mm, I think that to to a large degree, some people are, um, but it's it's not the norm. And do we need it to be the norm to really get the information that we need? Because you know, it is a there is a big group of people, but when you contrast that to the amount of people who are out there, it's still really small and. 
I feel like as much as that we gain ground in some categories, we also lose ground in some categories of people too, of like wanting to adopt what this experience is really like. And the reason why I say that is because like as a child growing up in nature, I love it. I loved it then and I love it now. But I also see like because of the explosion in the population of urban centers is that a lot less kids are experiencing that. And I feel like that's the one thing that really taps you into who you really are as a person is understanding your connection with other biological life around you and just being outside in nature. So if we're losing on the forefront of our children, it seems like it's only a matter of time before we get this to this shift that technology tells us who we are, but we don't actually understand who we are. And I see that in a lot of like, um, you know, people in their late 20s, early 30s who have a really hard time connecting with what the real reason why there is here because everything they've been inundated with to get to that point in their life doesn't actually help them figure out who they are. You know, there's a lot of these tools and these things that we can use and these systems, and these books we can read and these, you know, these things we see on Instagram and Twitter that we can recite all day long. But I don't think there any one of them are as beneficial as just being outside in nature with a group of other like-minded individuals really experiencing biological life for what I feel like biological life represents to me. And, you know, like that's just being in that connected and connective experience. Yeah. And I would add to that creativity Hmm. that creating art is, is so important for our, like you said, our realization of who we are as a species, as a human being, as our individual self, um, and being able to feel like you can also connect with a greater sense of connection with something beyond your individual thinking mind. Well, that's one of Paul Stamets' theories about uh, microdosing with psilocybin mushrooms or having like a once a year, you know, macro dose, um, because if so many people are losing their creativity and their imagination, because electronics have kind of taken over our creativity and our imagination for us, that it helps connect them back with um, that creative and that investig- investigatory side, butchering some words here, um, side of like using their imagination and creating things. Because yeah. he said like, that's the one real good uh, purification of the soul. And I was saying this to my daughter, my oldest daughter the other day, I'm like, you know, one of the best ways for me to be able to cleanse my mind, my heart and my soul is to be able to do something creative. And that's what helps you understand what's going on inside of you. But it also helps get what's inside out. But you know, also looking at her on like your primary, well, not her primary, but like one of her forms of activity is like, she just likes watching her shows on her phone or playing some games on her phone and all that kind of stuff. And no, I'm not that it's a phone. It's basically, it's not connected. She doesn't have SIM card or anything like that, but she connects it to like Wi-Fi and stuff. And, um, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like, are we losing that? But so for you, you've recently started back into your jewelry making, like, do you feel a, like a fundamental shift in your life tapping back into that creative resource inside of you? Yeah. Yes, I do. And I think the, I think the problem is less with the electronics than it is with our addiction to them and the amount of time that we could be spending doing something else, being bored. Because being bored forces you to be creative. Even if you're not going to create a piece of art, you have to get creative with what you're going to do so that you're not bored. (laughs) And if you you just go, oh, you know, let me look this up or let me check my account da 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 whatever it is that little voice that comes in so well yeah. and i look at it too for me would i be able to do the things that i do today if i never had that time because when i was bored i loved to build stuff like i was you know building tree houses building this building that taking apart you know cars and trucks and my motorbike like like that's just what i did on the farm like so would I be as useful as a person that I am today if somebody needs a tire change or their oil change or you know, they need to do some renovations at home or like, I have no problem doing that. Like I just 
grab my tools and I can go. If somebody needs a hand, I can do it. Would I still be that same person or would I be as useful to society and my social network around me if I grew up on a phone? Is that like I gained a lot of these skills because the resources were around me, but I didn't necessarily have somebody facilitating it. It was more like there was this, you know, there's this toolbox and here's this wood and here's this saw and here are these nails. And, you know, like my creativity led me down of like, you know, building something or trying to build something. You know, but yeah. like, where would we be as people now, you know, like, it, or where are people going to be where they haven't gained a lot of these fundamental skills or do people need to lose those skills to be able to gain the ones, you know, playing on phones where it's easier to hack stuff, easier to do coding, easier to sit in front of a screen for, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, because that's a problem that I have because I didn't grow up on screens. I can't sit in front of a screen all day. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like it goes back to the question, like, you know, does this lose our connection with who we really are as people, you know, gaining a little or taking some of that boredom away because we never do enough self-reflection. Right. Hmm. I guess it depends on the person. It's definitely a distraction. That's for sure. What are uh, going back to like the year of the tiger, like, what are some of the things if you do, I happen to know, I sort of kind of throwing the spot, but it's one of the questions I had. Um, what are some of the things like we can expect in the year of the tiger? Because I didn't I research it like at all before we. That's a good question. I don't know, but I do know that this time of year. And so like in Asia, they'll do preparations, obviously, before the actual day and then the celebrations last like two or three weeks and so that time frame is a time frame where the ancestors are honored and remembered and brought into the 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 life that day they they'll put an extra cup on the table for um someone who's recently passed or um they'll go to the cemetery and visit the site where you know their ancestors are are buried their family members and that's part of the celebration of of renewal in the sense that we don't forget where we've come from and what we bring with us into the new year um but we do bring newness into the new year and we do allow for the potential for transformation and growth and new experiences. Um, and, you know, it's different, I think, than the way we look at the new year when we, when in the West, there's a new year celebration. It's more, yes, there's like the party aspect to it. Um, and then there's, there's the affirmation, which is the resolution but that's kind of a weighty thing, right? And it's it, so it, it it seems like with Chinese New Year or the Lunar New Year in general, whether it's Chinese or Losar, the Tibetan New Year, which is the first week in March, there's this there's this freshness, uh, and it's it's just a little different in that sense. There's a there's the open to the potential of uh, increased prosperity and good health and wealth and happiness. Um, Do you think so. that in the West that we have anything anymore that we actually take the time out to value life like that? Because we don't really have anything as like a Western culture that we sit down and we take some time to be able to honor, you know, like our ancestors, like honor what's going on in our life right now. And and actually treat that with enough respect because when you say New Year's resolutions, I just happen to be in the New Year's resolutions game with, you know, people making all of these things they want me to help them with for the rest of the year. And, you know, and it's like, you know, every year that goes by because the, the new narrative this year was, you know, like forget New Year's resolutions. Like people just, like it, it just seems like people don't even talk about it anymore. And, you know, it just... New Year's Eve might be that night that you go out for some drinks with some friends or something, but that's, that's all it's really turned into. Like we don't really honor the year we just had or honor the year to come or like we just, 
we don't have a lot of these traditions that actually have substance and meaning towards them like where we can value them in any kind of way right like the new the new tradition is the meme yeah the trending meme yeah and how many times that you can repost it and then you wish that you could have thought about or thought of it or you could have created something so much better or something along those lines right yeah yeah because even like for me like the the tradition that was like that growing up was thanksgiving because we were farmers so like thanksgiving was always real a really big time of year but at the wrong time because it was always in the middle of harvest in canada like the united states actually has it in the right kind of time period where it's at the end of harvest and you can celebrate for some reason in Canada, we're like, let's punk it in the middle, which makes no sense. <laughs> and, but, um, but yeah, and it's like, but even with that now, like I find even like the growing years because being off the farm and being in the city and not being with that same network of people, it's like, I want it to still be that. And I try to make it that, but the people around me don't understand really what that means anymore um, of what it's like to be a farmer in Southern Alberta at harvest time and like actually giving thanks or, you know, like kind of reflecting back on maybe why the harvest wasn't the way that it was, because I've been to some wild, wild harvest parties, you know, just because on good years, you know, like when the, when the yield was good and the, like the crops came in and, you know, like money is going to be in the bank and the granaries are full and, you know, just when, when things are good, like, like that's that celebration where like, you know, people are getting, getting together and they're rejoicing, um, which actually felt like it meant something. And like New Year's Eve has never really felt anything to me except for like an excuse to get drunk and be hung over for two days. Yeah. Well, and there you have again, the, the connection with nature and how that brings meaning. Do you think that like, we would we would benefit from having something in the West that we value, like there were like that we hold in enough regard that we make it like the forefront of our thought process. Maybe it doesn't have to be for a week or two or three weeks, but just something that we value more than just ourselves. Yeah, that that would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I, my sense is that at least in this area, um, because of the seasonality, that the seasonality and the pros and cons to each season, coupled with the heaviness of COVID, have made people super appreciate when the sun is out, super appreciate when the weather is pleasant versus and and really appreciate the beauty of nature year round regardless of what season they favor and really have an aversion when it's cold or damp or rainy for too long or the sun's not out so it seems like covid has at least from the people that i've observed it, it's at least gotten them in more in touch with seasonality in a way that they feel like a direct connection to it for better or for worse and to the weather. So like when people talk about the weather now, it's not just like, Oh, well, I hear it's going to snow or rain. It's more like they're like really like emotionally invested in it, you know, in a way that you, it used to be more like a shallow or small talk. And now it's like something that's really influencing their well-being directly. And I think that that's a positive thing, even though it's not always so pleasant. Um, it, people have been paying more attention to the moon, paying more attention to which flowers are blooming when in the spring and in the summer of the past couple of years. It's very interesting. noticing noticing cues from nature um and talking about it more so i actually it's funny that you mentioned the moon i didn't realize or maybe like the possible connection of why but the last year i have been more understanding of how full moons affect me than i've ever been in my entire life and i have no idea why but now you draw there drew this parallel 
of like, you know, people being connected in these different ways. And I've spent a lot of time outside that country, this, that, the next thing. And, but I've never realized how I don't sleep at all. Like the night of like a, like it is so rare for me to sleep on a full moon. And I just, it's not that I feel too much it different is now I feel like I know it's coming. Like I'm just more in tune with that. Okay. Like I, I just, like, I know I'm not going to sleep. I know I'm going to be restless. I know I'm going to be a little bit like agitated. Um, and I know, you know, like I've watched a lot of like documentaries in my day where they do like the infrared cameras where, you know, non-nocturnal animals kind of become nocturnal, you know, uh, because of the extra light of the full moon. And, I know this from hunting, you know, like we're like, you never go hunting on a full moon because what was there at, you know, nightfall is not going to be there in the morning. So like the best time to go is on a new moon because what's there at night will be there in the morning, you know, like, like that kind of stuff And it. But like, I've become like hyper aware of how my body responds to like full moon or like lunar cycles. So there you go. Some of the, some of the benefit from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that common? Like, is there, yeah. like, is there a lot of other people that like just oh, yeah. get stirred up? Yep. It's very common. Have you ever heard that at the full moon emergency rooms fill up? No, yeah, I haven't. Wards have more admittance. Mm-hmm. Like why do like people are just like, are they there's like, more like more? there's more, um, more accidents and injuries. People that, um, have any demons they're wrestling with, they tend to be stronger. It's like the light is like a beam that's shining on whatever the darkness is that they're having issue with. Um, yeah. And I have a slew of clients who don't sleep well on the full moon. Is there like anything from, uh, like from a meditation practice that you do differently or an essential oil that you use or like anything that people do around that time? Well, that can it's not advi it's advised in yoga practice to not practice on the day of the full moon or the new moon because that would be like the opposite well it would just again one of those things where like you you think in one way and it turns out to be the opposite but yes um well the the reasoning for it is that if you get injured doing your asana practice on a full or a new moon it's an injury that tends to hold longer. So it won't heal as easily. Why is that? Well, I, I'm sure there's some like electromagnetic um, reason too, but I think one of the reasons is the way that the moon pulls water in the body because we are made up of so much water. I think it has an influence on, um, the way that the water gets pulled in may be an injury when you're pulled to maximum capacity in whatever direction will have a stronger holding pattern than, than, um, you know, on an ordinary day where you're just kind of like not at your extreme. Sorry about this. Sorry, I have a very demanding cat right now. <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> she opened the door and ran in on a client this morning. I was like, oh my God. One of those things, it's like when you're on a Zoom meeting and your kids are bugging you in the background and they think that the camera can't pick them up here and they're like tapping you on the shoulder and stuff. So it's Mine all uh, comes into the picture and waves to everybody and <laughs> kids and animals, right? It's funny, but um yeah. but yeah. So because this is something that I, I've thought of in the backcountry lots. Um, and I, I don't actually even know if there's an answer to this question. It's just something I thought of lots. Does it make sense that humans are made up of so much water and how essential water is to us and how theoretically there's not an abundance of fresh water to drink? Does it make sense? Hmm. Well, we are mostly space. We say we're like, you know, whatever the percentages of water, but truthfully from like, especially from a quantum physics standpoint, we're, we're mostly space. 
It's in like and, the 90-something, high 90s, isn't it? Like when you yeah. actually ac- accumulate to space, like we're we're actually more like kind of, like you said, space or like mm-hmm. dead air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actual space. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like those those concepts that are really interesting to, to dive into. And the only reason why I say about the water is because like we're the laziest we've ever been in the existence of human beings. And like people are chronically dehydrated because they don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. But I would think like before when you know, like water sources weren't like immediate, but people were more physically active, wouldn't we be just as or more dehydrated? And then I- we get it into the area where, you know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I, I appreciate that's why like wine and beer were made is because it was like a water source because you couldn't drink the actual water. So it was a way for people to be able to get fluids um, because like the water was so dirty, they couldn't drink it. So it just seems like drinking water has always been stacked against us or being dehydrated is always in our cards, but being hydrated is so good for our body. Mm. It is. I've wondered the same thing. Like I've, I've said, I, I, I may not have made it as far as I have a couple hundred years ago, or if I lived in a, you know, a different society, because I, I just feel so much better when I drink a lot of water. Um, and you know, it's, maybe it's a thing where people metabolized water differently Maybe part of the issue is all of the toxins that we're faced with now, whether it's um, radio and microwaves and cell waves. I mean, we don't know how they affect us um, entirely and all of the things in the food and the water and the air. I mean, those things are all probably from a, a, an Eastern medicine standpoint, dry, drying and heating. And so perhaps that has something to do with it. Um, we have very inconsistent lifestyles as well. Um, so that probably has something to do with the fluid metabolism issue. I, I think that our, that the body uses water differently based on how much water it's used to having and when. You know, if you're going to drink a gallon of water all at once, or if you're going to space out a half gallon throughout the day, how many things are you drinking that are dehydrating? Yeah. Yeah, Because like, you know, when I, when I've looked at it is that like, I agree with you. Like I feel when I'm properly hydrated, I feel a thousand times better. I think it's like a, a, a mild antidepressant that gets completely overlooked as an antidepressant is simply just making sure that you're properly hydrated. Um, you know, but like, like I said, like I, I, I do know, like going in to say, like, if you're like hiking or if like your farm, like they're just, you don't always have it, but there's, from what I've researched, I don't know of any physiological benefits to dehydration. Like there's physiological benefits to fasting. So like, we know, like, you know, we've been told now, like, well, you need to eat, need to eat, need to eat. But now it turns out that it's like, oh, okay, well, we're eating way too much. And, you know, like, you know, by eating less, we can actually promote longevity, not only in us, but also in like our, our offspring, you know, we can, we can enhance their quality of life, you know, by not eating as many calories us as individuals. But when it comes to water, it's not like that is if you don't have enough water, like you can't go on a, you know one week water fast or two week water fast, like what you can, you know, do on a food fast. So it just seems like it's such an essential part of our life, you know, but like, do you think because there's uh, a humidity content in the air and if we were outside with less clothing, like, is there an osmosis effect that we would get because our skin is so porous? Maybe, and I mean, we used to bathe less and wash all our oils off think about ayurveda is loaded with oleation constantly putting on oil and lotion and more oil in orifices on the skin in your hair there's always that unctuous um inclination toward the body it needs to be more unctuous so yeah maybe maybe you know what we're putting on our skin, the amount we're bathing is drying us out. We know if you, if you wash yourself with soap, your skin's going to get dry. 
and you have to, you know, put lotion on or use an alternative or not bathe as much. Um, so yeah, our lifestyle probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And uh, like I, uh, for me, I feel like the number one effect that hits me the most is I just can't comprehend things as well. Like, I don't think it like, I'm not as sharp mentally. I'm not as like motivated cognitively, but like when I'm dehydrated and I, I always can associate that with like a few environments that I get myself in, you know, whether it's the amount of cardio that I'm doing or sitting in a sauna or it's the summertime I'm in, in the back country. Like it always gets to be to this point where it's, you know, like you lose cognitive function really fast. Mm-hmm. Because then it brings me back to this thing. I'm like, well, how do we get here if we didn't have like a lot of the resources cognitively, you know, if we were dehydrated, because I would assume that it was the same cognitive decline that we would ex- expect from dehydration back then is what it is now. And well, we still got here. Dehydrated. Maybe well, that, that's why I always feel like I think we're more resilient as human beings than what we actually can give ourselves credit for, or we're almost now in an era of people finding reasons why like they're not resilient or not wanting to be resilient because like I find like resiliency to be at like the all-time low right now and preceding COVID but now like with COVID it just seems like a lot of people have just thrown their arms up in the air and that's kind of the whole conspiracy theory thing here where it's just like you know big government wants that ultimate reliance upon its people on government you know like let us give you your couple thousand dollars a month let's do universal basic income you know like all those things have been floated around in Canada in the later stages of covid where it's like you're taking away people's fundamental resiliency as well when we do those things cuz i i almost feel like people just want to give that up now hmm. what do you Thank see you. with your clients right now think people are making a shift right now or do you think it's like oh well you know we can't do anything about it anyways so we might as well just keep doing what we're doing or like well we think we never we got a couple of stimulus checks and that was it and if you got kids if you have kids then you got a couple more um but we didn't get the monthly thing it sounds like you guys are you still getting it some people can you know it would be one of those things where like I, I chose not to, and I chose not to like pursue it because for one, I don't want to create those avenues of dependency. Like I I have a really hard time with, you know, things like that. Like I, I want to know on my own that I'm, that I can, if things change, I can make lateral moves and stuff. Um, and like, I actually really truly feel that a lot of people don't want to be tested in life or to really understand their capability of a human being, because then like, you know, accountability also comes with that too. Right. So, you know, where I, I would have preferred a situation like what you guys did in the United States versus what we did here, because you still can collect government subsidies and their, the government's perspective is it's like, well, we're telling you to shut everything down. So we're going to supplement this income. It's like, well, I get the theory behind it. But from a citizen standpoint, people don't want that. A lot of people don't want that. And you're forcing them to take this money, which then if you force them to take this money long enough, they're going to get to that point of where we're at now because unemployment's so high is people are like, well, I don't want to go back to work. Yeah. Or what they're doing now is they can keep getting their money as long as they only work, you know, like 10 or 15 hours a week or something like that. So people are intentionally only working like the minimum amounts they can get a little bit of a paycheck plus get the free money instead of going back and working like a, a regular work week. Right. So yeah. it's uh yeah, like the, these are just kind of, I don't remember how we got onto this topic, kind of like all the other <laughs> stuff we got into, but it's um like, like, I, I guess it always comes back to like, I just like, I want to believe in people and I don't know whether I glorify what humans were like 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, but when we talk about these things like understanding lunar cycles and, you know, associating animals with different months of the year and going back and saying, well, you're this animal, so you're going to act this way, you know, and how long it would take to do that. I, I don't know whether, like I say, I romanticize the, the people or what I think would be the commitment to come up with these systems. Um, but I just, I almost fall in love with it a little bit each time that I learn a little bit more around it because 
I feel like those are the people that I want to be a part of our world today. And I don't think that enough people are because, go ahead. I No, go ahead. Finish your thought and then I'll. I was just going to say, because it's the, I don't know if people actually want to understand who they are. Like self-reflection is really hard for people, a, a really hard journey for people to walk down. Yeah, it really is. And that's why the teachers of these arts in the past didn't just teach them to anybody. It's why if you want to find, I mean, not, this isn't a hundred percent with anything, but if you want to find a genuine teacher of an esoteric art or even of um, the acupuncture, it's not going to be because you found them their website, (laughs) you know, it's, it's going to be by word of mouth. And then after that, they will determine whether or not they feel like karmically or whatever, you guys are a good fit for each other. Um, It was different. The information wasn't just readily available that some of the information that we have available to us as spiritual seekers, as people that want to understand the way the universe works, the way nature works, the way we work, whether it's physically or spiritually, some of the information that's available now is stuff that was hidden for thousands of years. And there'll, and I've got translations from multiple (laughs) people on my bookshelf of it. You know what I mean? It's like we have so much access to information that never used to be accessible. And the reason it wasn't accessible is because people actually don't want to know what it says. And so why they, they actually, I mean, we're fascinated by it. It's, it's like, you know, there are those of us who are really interested in knowing, but in knowing, you know, some of your, some of your beliefs come into question and and it's hard. And once people get to that point, a lot of the time, that's when they leave it aside and just go into whatever they were already doing before. And so because of that devaluing of the information, teachers are very selective with who they choose to teach and what they'll teach them. And um, I I forget why (laughs) I just went into that, but um, I think that humanity isn't that much different now than it was 2000 or 5,000 years ago. I think that, yes, there was more of a connection to nature and an awareness of cycles of nature and things like that. And at the same time, I think people are people and the mind is the mind. And, you know, you're a tiger for better or for worse. And and you can choose to work with those energies in a, in a more, uh, in a deeper way. Um, or you can, you can just like not. And, and I, and I don't think that, I don't think that humanity's changed that much. I really don't. And if it had, so, I don't think we have all the issues that we have right now. So I guess this thinking about this, it brings me like to this point is that, do you think we glorify a very small population of people because we associate these practices that maybe, like you said, are are practiced and instilled by a very limited amount of people? And we think that everybody was like that back then? Because maybe that's what my disconnect is, is thinking like the whole world was just like this at one point in time. And it's like, no, there might have been percentage wise the same amount of people who were practicing it back then in a real authentic way as what there is now and we just theorize that it's like that or i theorize that everybody was like that i don't think that it's just you i think that that's a general and it's like almost nostalgic like oh don't you you wish like like 
it's like it, it it's so nice to think that there's that model that existed right because why can't we get back to it if that's the way it was and there may be there are teachings that indicate that there may have been a time like that like a golden age but for the most part i mean history just tends to repeat itself and and i don't think that humanity is much different than it was i think that like all of these wonderful things these um these things that indicate a higher awareness and uh connection to one's inner self connection to others connection to the earth i think that that stuff is you know it's a lot of the teachings that are the foundation for that stuff are they definitely didn't used to be accessible to everyone so then this makes me like is I know myself and a lot of my social network and it's I assume it's just a lot of people that I'm around always feel like you were born at the wrong time air quotes born at the wrong time right, right, you know? right, yeah. and um but then I'm like now having this conversation I'm like do I just not understand my purpose then you know am I missing what my purpose is if I was if I feel like I was born at the wrong time, is that just me not understanding of what I'm actually saying is um, I'm not fulfilling the reason why I'm here yet or what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Because if life has always kind of been the same, because I'm, I'm, I don't mean this in a pessimistic way. I think we have enough evidence to agree to it now that humans are almost, the reason why that human existence will cease to exist at some point in time, because history does repeat itself. And we, as soon as we had enlightened consciousness, we were almost doomed from the beginning because we see it happen over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I think one of the things that stopped, you know, maybe like a mass extinction event in recent times would be, like nuclear weapons when just the right people were in the right place at the right time to say, Hey, this is a bad idea. Um, but we all know it really could have gone both ways. And you and I could very easily not be sitting here right now having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I do believe like outside of like external natural disasters that we almost just never really can learn our lesson. And Maybe that's one of the things, um, you know, that I look at is I want to believe that people can. So I convince myself that people did. And we wandered away from that. But well, maybe people, it's not like that. People do. Right. Maybe not the entire planet at the same time. Um, or what would it take to get everybody on that same universal page where like enough people can all be on that wavelength in life at the same time that we could see a fundamental change like that. Well, what about Bhutan? Yeah. They have a very idealistic way of operating politically and socially yeah they the closest thing to it i would say so this goes back to the the theory or the understanding the one of the worst things we could ever do for human existence is create urban centers yeah you know it's like major urban centers the ones that like disconnect us from all that and we we were healthier as a population with more rural communities you know, but like now we're drifting back like into this point where like it becomes all about these major urban super centers and which realistically kind of was one of the things that got us into the trouble that we're in right now with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the, you know, like that break of like the fundamental fundamental thought process where, you know, and maybe that's where like when we, myself and people that I know say that you were born at the wrong time, 
maybe we're just geographically situated in the wrong place because it maybe is living in a major urban center that makes you feel like you were born at the wrong time because there's just not enough visual representation and physical representation, which then draws in an emotional representation of what your life should be like because living in a major urban center disjoints you from a lot of the things that are very natural to life. You're making me think pretty hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what time do you wish you were born in? Um, I think it depends geographically where we're talking about. So I often say to people, I would like to be born a couple hundred years ago, roughly in about the same place, theoretically. Not that I think that people were necessarily better at living life back then, but I enjoy the accountability, thinking about the accountability that people had. Um, And I was actually having a conversation with a, a male friend of mine, and we were talking about how a friend of his, um, like, just cheated on his wife. So, like, they were together for 20 years or whatever, but um, also was did that with somebody else who was married. So what we were talking about, which, oh, these are the things that I think in my mind when I say accountability is one of the things, not many, um, is you would never dare doing something like that a hundred year, 150, 200 years ago, because the consequences were higher in multiple reasons, like for like multiple different aspects. And that's just one small category, you know, like it just happened to be a conversation I was just having where there was a lot more accountability for, for how you represented yourself, how you represented your family and how you represented your community. Like these are all things that meant a lot more to people back then because you don't, for me, like getting a piece of furniture from like uh, 150 or 200 years ago and seeing a family's name stamped or engraved in it or etched into it is because like it meant something or you drive it down to some of the more historical places in Vancouver, these small towns. And it was like um, Peterson and Sons Trading Co, you know, and like you you represented like your family name in, in a lot different way than like what people do now. Um, mm-hmm. When I think of like, tranquility is a lot more of a you know like an Asian perspective I very much see like a Japanese tone like in my mind like the buildings that I've manifested and I've curated this narrative in my mind of just you know like this peaceful serene like living of um like a a population mastering very small menial tasks. And they pass that down from generation to generation, like whether it be, you know, like art or calligraphy or like um, sword making or farming or like these, like, you know, and because we know with a lot of Japanese practices, it's about just like the pursuit of perfection. I can't remember what like the actual term is called in Japanese, but it's like, we're like, like things just, they meant a lot more. And we, we put a lot more energy into things. Like, I, I guess I'm kind of like a little bit lost for words right now, but it's, I but I have this picture painted in my mind of what it is. Yeah. And that is certainly one aspect of it. Like each of those things that you used as examples, those are, those are one aspect of it. But what was the intention behind the colonial person not cheating? Was it because they really didn't want to? Or was it because they were scared to death of the shame that would come from it? Right? So there's that. Yeah, it was the happy balance, I guess, in between those. Because living in shame is... Right. It's very destructive. Is your is your intention and the decisions you make based on fear? Or are they based on integrity? And 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 like pure integrity, not integrity born of fear. Right? Like so there's that to think about too. And then the other thing that came to mind when you were speaking was maybe you're born in just the right time that you can know about all these other 
times and places and cultures and draw from principles of each of them and incorporate them into your life now and teach other people about them as well um, in a way that you wouldn't be able to do if you were just in one or just in the other or so far back in time, there was really no awareness of what was happening anywhere else or little awareness, you know? That actually is a, because that touches on what you were saying before about us having access to these teachings that um, a lot of people never would have access to before, you know? So like we do, I guess, have an opportunity right now to be able to say, you know, take a, information from multiple different sources, multiple different times of life and saying, what can this mean to me now? Instead of just saying like, oh, if I was born, then I could actually implement this, but I can't now because then it's just, I guess, searching for that excuse of why you can't do it, which brings back down to the accountability factor of just being like, well, you can do it right now. (laughs) And the other thing, this is more far, far out interpretation or thought. But maybe there is that attachment to those places because part of your, you know, conscious stream of consciousness actually existed in those types of lives at one point. Yeah, see, and like I actually at this point in time in my life buy into those things a lot more now than like what I did before. Um, because I I think I'm starting to understand a lot more about what actual emotional connection to something means to me as a person. And I know I'm emotionally attached to some things or events or situations that I have had no part of in my life, but are very, I'm very much emotionally attached to them. Like I, I feel like I understand them or like, I feel like that moment means something to me, but I know I've never lived that moment, which those are the times now where like, I stopped to think it's like, Oh, okay. Like what can we do here? Like what, what's like the next step for like defining this. Um, and then I get into this tailspin about how like not everything needs a definition. Sometimes you just need to appreciate. So it's like, because like, that's like what I, what I want or what I try to do with my life now is just like the overanalyzation, you know, like where I know that that's like a big part of life today, or it seems like it's a part of life today. I have no contrast to life before, but um, overanalyzation of oneself. And I think the self-help movement has made a lot of people too critical on themselves. Yeah. You know, like always, well, like, wanting to find the why or what's it behind this versus just some things you just need for what we know now just to let it go and just to appreciate that you think that there is some connection and you might not be able to define who or what or when or why um Mm -hmm. but like it's just there and it it exists and you don't have to have like the definition and doesn't have to be penned on a piece of paper and you don't need to explain it to everybody who asks the question either that's so, true. Yeah. This podcast went away into a different direction of what I thought it was going to. What I actually wanted to talk, which we can get in next time, because um, I got to wrap this up in the next couple minutes, is that um, what people used in the ancient days for like diagnostic tools, because I, I love diagnostic tools now because I love understanding like what's going on in my body. Like I, I regularly, you know, look at my blood underneath a microscope and I take my blood pressure every day and you know, just do like all these different, you know, readings and, you know, from ketone meters to blood glucose to blood ketone levels, like just all that kind of stuff. And it fascinates me that we learned so much about the body when there was seemingly no advanced diagnostic tools or not like what we think are diagnostic tools that we used now and what people used back then. Mm. So Thank if you... If you don't know of any, or if you do know of some, don't get into it now because I want to get into the next one. And if that involves a little bit of research on both of our behalf, so I would love to be able to do it because I feel like there's some like really cool devices or things that they used to use back then to be able to understand, like, you know, they've known that Japanese, you know, forest bathing has lowered your blood pressure since before we knew really what blood pressure was in a Western sense. And, you know, but like, how did they know that? Or like, 
how did they know it was effective or like what were they doing to be able to determine that? It wasn't necessarily instruments that they used. So we can get into it next time because I okay. want to know. I'm super curious. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, that's 90 right there. I can't believe it. We spent the first half an hour just chit-chatting back and forth. But thank you for coming on today. Like, I appreciate your time immensely. Yeah, it's fun, as always. (laughs) Have a wonderful day, Bridget. All right, you too.